a rush to judgment. Uh, really, the definition or the explanation of it is this, the ability and action of making quick judgments in the absence of all the facts. Maybe we have all done it before. Um, as a young believer, I remember one of the first times I did it, I was in Bible college. Here I am studying to be a, a minister in the gospel. And I go to a Christian concert, and on the platform was one of the singers, a young lady, in my opinion, dressed totally inappropriate, and um, in my heart, I judged her. So, um, you know, and I felt very satisfied about judging her because I felt like she deserved it. Well, about a year or so later, um, we had that group come to our church, and I look up there and I see her. After the concert, I, I went to her, I was talking to her, and I said, yeah, I saw you guys over in Lakeland, and you know what she did? You know what she said? Immediately she said this, oh, I was so embarrassed. Now that got my attention and she said, I lost, or they lost my suitcase and that, what I wore that night was the only thing I had to wear and I was so embarrassed and I'm like, excuse me a minute while I crawl back in my hole where I belong, all right? So, uh, uh, I should have confessed my sin but I was too ashamed of it and too prideful, I guess, at that time, and uh, I let it go. Uh, wherever she is, I ask your forgiveness. Anyway, uh, there was another time, a young lady, I don't know if her mother forced her to, she was 16 years old. She came into my office, and she was full of rebellion, at least what I labeled on the surface. She was mad at her mother. She was, I mean, attacking her mother. She was mad at everybody. She was just mad. Now, she made me mad. Here I am, the counselor, all right? Instead of being loving, responsive, and saying, looking for the key that's going to unlock the pain and bring healing, instead of that, I get mad at her. So I don't, I don't know how it ended, but a day or so later, I remember thinking about that young lady, and I made a statement. That young lady is so rebellious. Do you like it when God interrupts you when you're right in the middle of a thought? especially when it's a thought like that, the hand of God, it wasn't audible, but it might as well have been because it was a strong impression from the Spirit. And the Spirit said to me, how do you know or do you know what has happened since you talked to her? You don't know if that young lady has not already repented and made things right and uh, dealt with her attitude from that day. You don't know. And you have just labeled her a rebellious young lady. And of course, I, I repented. I would like to be able to tell you that I have never judged anybody since that day, all those years ago. And, uh, and you might say, well, Pastor, uh, what did you say? And I would say it's none of your business, all right? So there have been plenty of times since then I've blown it. But aren't you thankful for God's forgiveness? Aren't you thankful for God's mercy? So God wants us to get better and better and better and better, or more mature, more mature, more mature. There are two things going on with judging. Matthew chapter 7, probably the most quoted verse or part of the verse uh, about judging among Christians and especially non-Christians that says this, 
Judge not that you be not judged. Judge not. Now, if you read the rest of the verse, and we will in a few moments, if you read the rest of it, he is not saying don't ever go to someone who's in sin and point out their sin and try to help them. He's not saying that. He is not saying simply acknowledging that somebody has a problem. He's not saying that. He is not pointing out some grievous sin in someone's life that we love. It, let me read it to you this way. Judge not unrighteously. Judge not unrighteously. Well, we know that God wants us to judge. We have to judge. Throughout the New Testament, it talks about how to judge, who to judge, and even when to judge. So, John chapter 7, verse 24 says this. Jesus saying, same as in Matthew, he says, do not judge according to appearance. So he's given us some guidelines on how to judge. Don't judge according to appearance or a lack of details, all right? Uh, you're not supposed to go to jury duty and walk in and one of the lawyers say, how many of you believe that just because my client is here, he is guilty? You're, you're not supposed to raise your hand and say, yes, I think he's guilty. And the judge or the lawyer says, why? And you say, look at him. He looks guilty. Look at those beady eyes, all right? He looks guilty. No, you would never do that unless you really wanted to get out of jury duty. And that's a surefire way to do it. Uh, don't forget what I just said. All right. So anyway, do not judge according to appearance or a lack of all the facts, but judge. Look what Jesus said, but judge. Earlier in Matthew 7, he says, judge not. So he wasn't talking about not ever judging, but unrighteously. Here he says, but judge with righteous judgment. Righteous judgment. All right, that's simple. That's clear. God help us to understand that. The first and foremost person we are responsible for judging is, guess who? You and I. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 31. Maybe this is one we live, leave out of the mix uh, too often, but the foremost person is you and I. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31. It says, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Uh, for emphasis sake, let me say, we would not be judged by God and maybe certainly others too, but the emphasis here is on, by God. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged by God, but when we are judged by God, we are chastened by him or disciplined by the Lord so that we will not walk in disobedience or not be condemned with the world. So, in other words, we judge ourselves, and we don't do it harshly. We do it with mercy. We do it with humility and understanding that without God, we can do nothing. We don't continue to beat ourselves up. No. We say, God, 
We, your word says, if I confess my sins, you are faithful and righteous to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Amen. Isn't that a wonderful verse? So we judge ourselves, and then Christ will not judge us or discipline us. We don't judge ourselves, and God will discipline us and bring us with that attempt to bring us out of that wrongdoing. So let me go to some of the ways that we judge unrighteously. Here's some of the ways. I'm going to give you several. Some of the ways we judge unrighteously, and Pastor Kevin has so graciously agreed to help me this morning. Okay, uh, come right on, Pastor Kevin. Let's give him a good hand as he comes. Uh, he, is, um, he is projecting a believer. This is entirely symbolic, all right? It is totally symbolic. I didn't pick him because he had a, has, I knew he had a plank in his eye, all right, or his life. All right, so totally symbolic. Uh, forget him personally. He represents somebody, all right? Okay, so here we go. The Word says this. Um, look at that. First point is, I got a plank in my eye. That's a good title for a country song. I got a plank in my eye, all right? So, uh, Here's what Matthew 4 says, or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck? You see this little speck here? The speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Now, uh, I picked me for the speck, all right, this morning, and uh, I picked Pastor Kevin for the plank. Now, you know that's not the way you're supposed to be carrying it, all right, don't, don't you? All right, so anyway, the board's heavy, and so pray for him right now, all right? So um, he's, he's, he's wearing out quickly on me, but anyway, so how is he with a plank in his eye going to help me with a speck in my eye? And so Christ is saying, let me just read it to you. Why do you look at the speck, Pastor Kevin, in Pastor Carl's eye, and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to me, or Pastor Carl, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a big old plank, two by four, in your own eye? Well, he says, Pastor Kevin, you need to do something. If you got a plank in your eye, God wants to use you to help take specks out of other people's eyes. But you got to do something first. You know what it is. He's got to get rid of that plank. You need to get on your knees, sinner, and uh, you need to repent. You, uh, you threw the board away too fast, but that's okay. All right, so cutting his pay. All right, so anyway, and Jesus says, you hypocrite. You hypocrite. You hypocrite, Pastor Kevin. You is a hypocrite. And so anyway, you hypocrite first. Take the plank out of your own eye. And then, then, listen to what Christ said. And then you will see clearly, you can throw it away now. All right, so, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from Pastor Carl's eye or anyone else's eye. And see, you can get up. You're, a, you're, you're back in fellowship with God. All right, so anyway, you got the plank out. 
God does not want him to keep the plank in his eye. And God says, just because you had a plank doesn't mean uh, disqualify you from helping somebody with a speck in theirs. And so God's saying, it doesn't matter if you've had a plank, get rid of it, repent of it, so you can get busy helping other people. That's what he's saying. Isn't that gracious? Now, I got a speck in my eye. So how are you going to help me get it out? Somebody comes to you, they got a speck in their eye, they got a little problem in their life, so you're just going to say, hey, let me get that speck out of your eye. No, you're not going to gouge their eye out to try to get the speck. What are you going to do? You're going to softly, that's right, Pastor Kevin, you're going to softly, tenderly, you're going to reach up, and I'm going to say, no, be careful, be careful, be careful, and my attitude is going to be, how are you going to do this? He's going to be patient. He's going to be kind. He's going to be gracious. That way, when somebody comes into your office and they got a speck or they got a beam, you are going to be tender. You're going to say, I'm so sorry. No matter what has happened to you, uh, let me help you get that speck out of your eye and, and do it patiently and lovingly and kindly. That's all the that's what God has tasked us all to do. Let's give him a good hand and see. Uh, thank you, sir. So, number two, I render a judgment of guilt without having all the facts. I render a judgment of guilt without having all the facts. And this is such a problem. We, we are bombarded with misinformation. We're bombarded with uh, partial truth, no truth, some truth. Uh, and so we, we don't have all the information, and it's, you know, sometimes, like what happened in Minneapolis, we see the video, and we can say, oh, dear God, have mercy. We can come to a, uh, a sensible, righteous judgment on that, but be careful, because that certainly may be the exception, because other videos may tell only part of the story. That one was pretty uh, more than obvious to anyone watching it, but we have to be careful because we do not want to come to a judgment without being uh, Christ-like in our response and saying, God, help me to make the right judgment. That one was obvious to us all, correct? But I render a judgment of guilt without having all the facts can be an unrighteous judgment. Number three, I perceive someone else's sin is so bad that it makes mine seem insignificant. We look at our own life and we're like, hey, well, at least I'm not like them. Thank God compared to them, I'm a saint. Have we ever said that? Maybe we have. Number four, uh, it's unrighteous judgment if I'm eager to tell other people. If we're eager to tell other people, uh, those of you at Redbug, those of you at Michigan Street and online, if you are eager to tell people uh, about something bad about someone, uh, God hasn't called you to do that. Uh, we don't expose. We cover by love and grace and forgiveness. How many of you want your sins covered by God's forgiveness and grace? Uh, how many of you are glad God is not a blabbermouth? Thank God he's not a blabbermouth. Thank God. I mean, one time 
Years ago when I was in college, someone came and preached and they said, I just believe that when we get to heaven, God's going to put up a big screen and we're going to see every sin we've ever committed. And I'm like, I'm not going. <laughs> there is no way I'm showing up. I'm backsliding right now, all right? So thank God he's not a blabbermouth. Thank God you don't have to get to heaven and say, now we're going to take Sally. Here's her life. From the age of 12, Sally, you were a bad girl. And so anyway, no, he doesn't expose. He covers our sins with grace and mercy and forgiveness. So we don't expose either. See, Aren't you glad that people that you know that you've done wrong to, you know, you, for, you failed to pay your rent, it's 10 days past due, the landlord gets on Facebook, oh, I just want everybody in Orlando to know that uh, Bill hadn't paid his rent this month, all right? No, we don't want to do that to others, and we don't want it done to ourselves. Number five, someone else's failure prompts me to review their past sin. Somebody falls, and we say, well, you know, 20 years ago, and there's a tendency in all of us to do that. God help us. Number six, it is I'm more interested in exposing rather than restoring. Same uh, off the other, but restoring is the emphasis here. So we don't want to restore first. We want to expose first. Let me give you a verse. Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. That's what Pastor Kevin was doing. Removing a speck out of my eye, he's going to do it with gentleness, with tenderness, considering himself, lest he be tempted, lest you be tempted. So we help each other, but it's not to expose. We want them restored. Number seven, I'm not authorized. I'm not the one authorized to judge in this case. Uh, this, if you step in when you're not authorized, you are unrighteously judging. I am authorized when my kids were small. I'm, I was authorized to judge my children. They did wrong, they said wrong, I judged that, said it's wrong, that's what judging is, pointing out the wrong. And I was righteous in doing so because it was to restore them and make things right. But when we step in, when we are not authorized, uh, that is wrong and that is a sin. If you went to court one day and you were just sitting there as an observer, and the judge was 15 minutes late. And all of a sudden, you're like, I, I got places to be. And so you just got up, went up there, sat down in the judge's seat and said, okay, uh, bring the witnesses on. Uh, apparently, the judge is not here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the judge. The same diff here. So you wouldn't do that as a result of the judge not showing up. He's the only one authorized. If he doesn't show up, case is canceled for the time being or postponed. Well, uh, there's a great verse that goes along with this. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15. It says, but let none of you suffer as a, let me go to the last part, as a busybody in other people's matters. Do you know what the word busybody means in the Greek? It means someone 
who makes themselves an overseer over matters that they've not been given to oversee. So when we step in, um, see, that's why Alice and I, we have grandkids, we have uh, daughter-in-laws, son-in-laws. We are very careful about giving our opinion or judgment. Why? Because we're not called to judge in that case. And if I say anything, I, I would say, you know, if, if you want my input, I'll share it. But I'm not going to be their judge and jury. So it's not me to speak into the situation. Now, unrighteous judgment we don't want to do. Righteous judgment, yes. And uh, I guess that's for another day, one day. But right now, we want to go into uh, something that everybody's been talking about in the last week or so. Um, it's something that to some degree or another affects us all. And I alluded to uh, what happened at the beginning of the service this week. But across our nation, uh, there is emotional height and um, uh, emotional rampant emotions going uh, and being stirred. Um, there is and was in even my own life uh, not a full understanding of some aspects of the concerns and the hurts even of the black community in America. This week, staff, we've been talking, and we talked about it before, racism and how terrible it is and how it even has impacted some of our uh, staff. But this week was also an eye-opener for me, and I, I listened to T.D. Jakes, and I saw some terrible signs of, of racism when I was, you know, in my teen years, and I shared that on the video Thursday, but I would, if somebody would have said, I would have said, oh, thank God, it's not like it used to be, and thank God, you know, it's nothing in comparison, but what I didn't understand, because wonderful people don't go around just sharing every experience of their life, and, and not asking in most cases, I didn't understand. I didn't realize the seriousness still that people go through, the injustice. The, and I knew of, uh, you know, the criminal justice system or the criminal somewhat unjust system for a lot of many, many blacks in America. But the, what was going on today, like one young lady, one of our leaders this week, when I was told that when she was telling her story, she just wept. And I'm like, what? Because Alice and I, we love this young lady, like everybody who knows her, we love her. And all of a sudden, I just thought to myself, somebody hurt her here in Orlando? I was just wanting to get up and go beat them up, figuratively speaking, of course. But anyway, I, not figuratively, I wanted to do it or have one of the staff members do it. And uh, so I was like, how could anybody, this beautiful young lady, how could anybody, beautiful or not, I mean, how could anybody? And I just was torn up hearing it. Then I heard T.D. Jake say, a lot of people think because it's better in some areas now that it's so far removed that it's not impacting anybody's life anymore to any degree. He said, but it wasn't all that long ago for so many people 
And he told about his grandfather, his grandfather, who was murdered because of his color. That was a shock. My grandfather, I, I had a grandfather that lived a long life, and, and I just thought, wow, his grandfather. So it's been an eye-opener. And, and one of the pastors on our staff, and he's going to come right now, um, because we've, we felt like it would be a good thing for him to come and share this morning and his beautiful wife, Elizabeth, and their baby, um, who's about to come <laughs> and um, are coming up to share. Because when I heard his story, now, him and I share something. We share a bond because um, I grew up in a, in a rural southern area. Uh, and he, the same, he grew up in a Georgia town. I've been there. I didn't want to stay there, but I've been there. I drove through there. That was all I did. That, that, that's about uh, what people do. So um, anyway, Pastor, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Um, my name is Michael Williams, um, born and raised in Jessup, Georgia, uh, November 27th, 1987. Um, uh, I am one of nine. My parents... Uh, played no games at all, took no time to just, hey, right behind one another. Uh, I was telling somebody earlier, I think the uh, longest amount of time between siblings is probably a year. So my mom was not what she was serious, like, all right, give me a couple months and let's have another one. So, okay, cool. Um, so, yeah, uh, there's, there's four older than me. I'm the fifth child, so there's four older than me, four younger than me. Um, and, uh, you know, life was uh, very interesting, very hard growing up. Um, lived in a three-bedroom double-white trailer for a um, majority of my life. Uh, we just pushed hard and never gave up, and I wouldn't trade any of it for the world. Um, at the age of 18, um, I knew God was calling me to something more. Uh, picked up the little bit of clothes I owned, moved here to Orlando, Florida to pursue a job in ministry, and little did I know that God had for me uh, the position that I hold today, which is the middle school pastor position here at this wonderful church. Praise um, God. <clears throat> Just put my head down and, and worked as hard as I could, and uh, some of these guys began to believe in me, which still blows my mind, but you know, God is good. And uh, 2017 was probably the best year of my life because uh, not only did I become the middle school pastor, but I married this unbelievably gorgeous woman beside me. And so, um, and uh, as you can tell, she is carrying our beautiful um, young baby girl that's gonna be uh, making her appearance here in a couple weeks. So we're excited about that as well, so yes. Uh, it's, it's just been, it's been amazing. It's been amazing. Pastor Michael, tell us a little about the first time you experienced uh, racism. First time that I experienced racism was uh, in kindergarten. Um, uh, my parents uh, did a pretty good job of helping us to understand what racism looked like because of the city we grew up in. Um, and so I can remember being in school um, and our teacher in that school um, was talking to um, the paraprofessional or she was talking to an older, um, maybe it was one of the other teachers from across the hall, but she was talking to her. And as she was talking to her, um, she was referring to every black kid in that room as the N-word. So I actually heard her say it, I actually heard her call us the N-word. And that was the first time I experienced what, what racism was gonna look like for me for um, 18 years of my life. How did your handle, uh, family handle racism? Um, 
the way my dad looked at it was if white people don't like us, then we don't like white people. Um, he taught us at a very young age to not like anyone that didn't have the same skin color or um, look the same. So uh, at a very young age, you know, um, it, was, it was a battle on both sides. It was a battle of we don't, black, white people don't like black people and black people don't like white. So uh, my dad just did a really good job of just pushing that into, our, into everything that we were, everything we are. So. What were some pivotal moments that helped shape you even for today? Um, uh, after, a uh, long time after that, which I mean, again, um, through those years, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, just always experiencing teachers and experiencing people who treated me differently because of the color of my skin. Um, and the thing that's different about how you experience it here in Orlando and Georgia is, for me, they would just outright let me know, hey, this is what you are and this is what you're going to be. Um, so the N-word became a part of my everyday life. It became a part of who I am so much that I began to believe that's who I was. Um, and so um, in sixth grade, um, I can remember being in middle school, getting a call from the office, going up to the office with this other Spanish kid. His name was Luis. And as we came around the corner, we were met with these two, um, this, this couple, this older, older couple, um, a white um, man and his wife. And he looked at both of us. He said, my name is Dr. Larry Bennett, and this is my wife, Jan, and we're going to be your mentors. And so I looked at them, and I'm like, what does that even mean, and why did you even choose us, right? And again, um, I was having a lot of difficulty working with the teachers because I, I think maybe I had one black teacher growing up. All of them were white, and most of them, if not all of them, were very racist and very outspoken about it. And so I was having some issues in school, kind of was that bad kid in school, and I needed a mentor, so that school got me a mentor and put me in the mentor program. And I can remember looking at um, Jan Bennett, who was my direct mentor, and she looked at me and she said, did you know that you read? at a high, high school grade uh, reading level? And I was like, no, I had no idea. She's like, right, like you're smarter than you think and I'm gonna help you to tap into that potential. I'm like, okay, but do you realize that I'm black and you're white? Well, she's like, how about this? I don't see color, so you don't see color as well, all right? Because that doesn't matter, all right? What matters is that you're a smart kid and I wanna show you just how smart you are. Praise God. Um, sorry, I, well, uh, and that was one of the moments that definitely uh, gave me a little bit of a turn, didn't turn me all the way around. What really turned me around is later on when I was in my teen years, um, every experience growing up in Georgia um, with the cops was always a bad experience. Um, I got so used to it that, you know, it was like before the cop even got to me, it's like my hands are already behind my back and I'm just sitting here like, this is what's gonna happen, so why even try to fight it? And um, every, every time I met with a cop, it was a, a frisking, it was a searching whatever I was doing, um, pulling out my pockets, like just all this stuff that just didn't need to happen. I would actually watch cops frisk me, but then not frisk the white people that were with me. Like if I was with someone that was white or if, you know, there was a white person with me. But um, there was an issue with a cop who pulled me and my friend over for jaywalking and arrested us. And uh, before he let us go, he looked at me and he said, why do you hang out with him? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I can tell he's a bad kid. He's like, but you? I can tell there's something different about you. You're a smart kid and you got a good heart. So why are you hanging out with someone that's gonna bring you down? And I'm looking at this white cop like, you realize I'm black, right? Like, and that didn't matter to him. He's like, no, it doesn't matter what the color of your skin is because I can see that you have a, a great heart and you're a smart kid. There are amazing things in store for you. Stop hanging out with people that's gonna stop you from accomplishing those things. So that was a moment right there where really just, and God sent so many different people in my life to help me out too, so. What do you think the answer is, Pastor? Oh, man. Um, so uh, I went back home around about the age of 20, 21, went back home to visit, and I went back to that, uh, that trailer I grew up in, 
Uh, my parents, when I was first born, we lived inside the city of Jessup, but then we moved to the outer limits of Jessup around about uh, probably eight or nine, maybe somewhere around there, a little bit, maybe a little bit younger, a little bit older. And um, we moved out there to what we called the country. Um, we were the only black family in this neighborhood of just all white people. So we're looking at my dad like, you don't want us to talk to them, but you put us in this situation, like, doesn't make any sense. So the only friends we could make were white friends, right? And so um, I began to establish this friendship with um, my next door neighbor's son, and we kind of got pretty close. Um, and um, the thing that was crazy about it was he wasn't allowed in my yard or my home because he was white and I wasn't allowed in his home or his yard because I was black. And I can remember us telling each other that. Why can't I come to your house? Oh, because my parent, you're white. Well, why can't I come to your house? Oh, because you're black. My dad doesn't want you there. And so um, we were friends for a very long time. Jump ahead all the way till I'm 21. Uh, I'm back at home, back in that same lot, that same trailer, and I hear somebody calling me, and it's the, it's the father of this best friend of mine. He's like, Michael, is that you? And I turn around, and I'm like, oh, oh, hey, how you doing? Like, I'm thinking to myself, like, how's this conversation going to go down? And he's like, man, like, I've been, I've been keeping up with you on Facebook. God is doing some amazing things in your life. And I'm like, whoa, like, this is crazy. He's like, come on, come on, come over. Let me get you a drink. Come on, come inside, sit down. So he invites me into his house that I've only seen the inside of. I sit down with this man, and he looks at me, and he's like, I have to tell you something. I had an encounter with God. I had an encounter with God and he changed my heart. In that moment, God began to reveal to me that my heart wasn't beating for the things that his heart beats for. He showed me the things in my life that I did wrong. So in that moment, I'm like, God, I wish I could make this thing right. Like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And little did I know that I was gonna come home today and pick my head up and see you in the, on the other side of this lot at, in your, at your house. And I just wanna let you know that I'm so sorry for the way that I treated you because of the color of your skin. I'm so sorry for the way that my family treated you. My, my, my children tried to tell me, Dad, it has nothing to do with the color of his skin. It has to do with who he is. Well, that's not how this family is going to be ran. And I am so sorry that I treated you that way because it's not about the color of your skin. And I just wanted you to know that right here, God has changed my life, my heart, and I'm so sorry. And I look back at that moment and I think to myself firsthand that the only way racism will be gone in this country is through Jesus Christ. Amen. There's Praise no other God. way around it. I have thought to myself, maybe there's some different ways that we can do it. And there definitely are some things we can do um, to help out with the situation. But when it comes to the changing of a man's heart, there's no one else but Jesus. There's no one else but Jesus. Absolutely. Praise God. Amen. Can you say amen to that? Um, Pastor Michael, Jesus, the night before he was crucified, he, you know, he knelt down. He washed the disciples' feet. And he told them, what you've seen me do to you, you do to one another. I would count it an honor and a privilege if you would allow me to wash your feet today. This has been a, a learning time certainly for me and many, many people in our country. And you say, okay, but what about me? I, I've had injustice and, and we recognize that there's so, so much injustice and always will be, unfortunately, because of sin and a heart that doesn't know Christ. But at this time, 
What's happening right now because of what happened to George Floyd, it's time to, to recognize and acknowledge what's happened in the black community. See, I'm, I'm still shocked because to think that happened, even in Jessup, during your life, it, it's just unbelievable that that's still, and I pray to God that's not going on right now to some young black student in kindergarten. I'm sure it's not. Um, let's hope if it does ever happen, they fire them immediately, but uh, that's a side point. But there's two things that happened around the crucifixion of Christ, Pastor Michael, and that was when Jesus knelt and he washed the disciples' feet. And of course, it was, I guess, somewhat embarrassing to them and humbling to them to have the Master, the Savior. But he was setting an example for me and for you that we're to wash one another's feet and to care for one another and to love each other and to help soothe the wounds of life for one another in prayer and love. And so there's two washings that took place around the crucifixion. Number one, of course, the washing of the disciples' feet, which was probably more about service, but there was another washing. It was after Christ was crucified whipped, crown of thorns pressed into his brow, covered in blood. That blood and all that was on his body symbolized all the injustice, the hate, the mockery, calling him names, just like you. He experienced it just like you. And after he died, his body covered in blood, and they took his body and they washed it. And they washed all that stuff away. All that pain, all the hatred, the injustice against him. Innocent. You were innocent. You didn't do anything. And yet they threw this stuff at you just like they threw at Christ. Even on the cross when he's dying, there's those that are mocking him. But I think that symbolizes all that stuff gone because Christ was going to turn that into good. He was going to bring redemption through what happened to him. And you're going to bring redemption to many people through what happened to you. God's already using it in a powerful way. And you're a blessing to this church and this ministry. So we're going to wash your feet. I'm simply symbolizing all of us who are washing your feet, all right? So I get to have that privilege today, but it is an honor. Beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. And you're preaching the gospel of peace, Michael. And I pray that as we wash your feet, I pray that the Holy Spirit would go into every 
crevice of your life and emotions and being corner of your life and bring peace to every area of your life. You have experienced redemption. You're a new creature. All things have passed away. You have a new spirit. And now you will love and you will understand where others may not. And you will be a blessing and are to many. And even though God never wanted you to hear a horrible word or a person that treats you unjustly or wrong, he never wanted to, that experience for you. But since it happened, God intends to wash it all away and to use you mindfully. Your blessing and you're serving. Today, your heart is not filled with hate. Your heart is filled with love. And we honor you for it. And we thank Christ for what he's done in your life. I love you, brother. Love you, too. Would you stand with us, please, everyone? Pastor John is going to step up. But first, would you bow your heads with us, please, Father? There are people in this room that have experienced similar pain and anguish. There are those that have been treated so unjustly in so many ways. There are those that have experienced the pain and anguish of heart simply because of their color. And I pray today, O oh Lord God, that your word and your spirit would wash away. Wash it all away. God, wash it all away. Cleanse their hearts, O oh God. And for any that are listening right now that don't know Christ is Lord, I pray they would Turn to Christ as we heard him say the only solution for racism is a changed heart, one that is filled with love. God, I thank you for that. I thank you for it. God, we ask you to touch our nation, touch our black community across this nation, O oh Lord, and I pray for a healing touch of your spirit to sweep through our land. In Jesus' name, Pastor John, lead us in a chorus. Just remain standing, and then he's going to dismiss in prayer and give you further instruction. God bless you. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. Yes, it's who I am. 
Dear Father, we thank you today that we are loved by you and that, Lord, your love is flowing through us, through your church, through your children, towards each other and towards this world. And I pray, God, that you'll continue to allow your light to shine in and through us, God, that we might shine into dark places, show love, Lord, to those that feel unloved, God, and to bring hope into hopeless places, Lord. And I pray in the name of Jesus that those that have decided to trust in you today, even for the first time, that have decided to turn to Jesus, I pray, God, uh, that your, your change would be great in their lives and that you would continue to give them wisdom and, and guidance, Lord God, every day. Continue to show your love to them and unveil your perfect plan for their lives, God, as they continue to grow in you. And for those that have decided today to draw closer, God, I pray the same, that you would continue to, un, uh, to reveal your great plan, Lord God, for your people and help us to walk according to your will for our lives. And Lord God, I pray in Jesus' name that your peace that surpasses all understanding will guard the hearts and minds of your people. As we face this week to come, Lord God, let us walk in your favor and your love, Lord God, expecting your hand to move on our behalf. We love you, we honor you, and bless you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen.